Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where my brother and I I answer questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, how you doing? Uh, good. Actually, not. Not good. Uh, A couple things. First off, I've had a, a, a bad week, uh... Just like a difficult personal week uh, health-wise. Um, as you know, Hank, this is personal, but I have a, uh, I have a brain illness called obsessive-compulsive disorder, and uh, I've, I've been in the process of switching medications, which has not been fun. Uh, also, in possibly even worse news, the Taylor Swift summer that we were blessed with here in Indianapolis has officially ended. There was 48 straight hours of rain, and now it is cold. So the darkness has descended. <laughs> the sky here in Indianapolis is so close to the ground that I feel like I could reach up and touch it. And uh, Taylor Swift is well and truly gone. How are you? I'm so so sorry to hear that. It is also quite gloomy here. If I looked out the window and didn't know anything about what time it actually was, I would guess that it was about 7 o'clock at night. Yeah. It is, in fact, noon. Uh, it's just really dark and overcast. And in personal health news, if as long as we're going there, I take a medicine that makes my life much, much better, but also makes everything taste bad. Mm. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, I also am feeling very frustrated with medication side effects at the moment. Yeah. Um, it it doesn't do it all the time. I'll, I'll have I'll go weeks and I'll be like, ah, it, it went away, yay! And then I'll wake up one morning and I'll be like, wow, my mouth tastes really bad. And then I'll brush my teeth and I'll be like, wow, my tooth toothpaste tastes really bad. Then I'll go have breakfast and I'll be like, this is there's something wrong with this banana. And it turns out that that's just my life for the next few weeks. Mm, a comedy podcast about two middle-aged men and their chronic health problems. <laughs> Well, you got to know that uh, life isn't going to always be milkshakes. Oh, I was just talking to my psychiatrist about this very thing, which is that when I was in in college and I first became aware that I was uh, mentally ill, um, I... I believed somehow that uh, this was something, this was like a problem of one's teens and and early 20s. Um, (laughs) 
But it turns out that y- you st- you are stuck inside of the same brain for your entire life. So anyway, I am doing okay. I am doing much better today than I was on Monday when we were first supposed to record this podcast and I just had to cancel. Can I read you a short poem that will hopefully cheer us both up? Let's do it. All right. It's by E. Cummings. It's called I Thank You God for Most This Amazing. I thank you God for most this amazing day for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I, who have died, am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great, happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all thing human, merely being doubt unimaginable you? Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. E.E. E. Cummings, a poem from, uh, I think, the 1940s, but I'm not positive. That was nice. Thanks for that poem, John. Yeah, it's a good one. E.E. E. Cummings, you know, specializes in, in the poetry of uh, surprisingly optimistic. Yeah. That would be my description of E.E. E. Cummings' poetry. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's answer a question from, from Dell, who is surprisingly optimistic and says, Dear Hank and John, when I'm seated in any public restroom or private or portable restroom and I see a toilet paper roll that is set to dispense from the under position, I assume that the, the, uh, the, the toilet paper is coming from toward the wall, out from under. Uh, no matter the effort required, I will switch it to the over. It is my obsession with correcting people's obvious oversights and rudeness. Am I a monster? Well, not a monster. Um, possibly a, a person who's responding uh, to an obsessive interest with a compulsive response. But um, <laughs> no, not a monster. Uh, in fact, uh, Hank, as you may know, one of the longest Wikipedia articles is devoted to the question of whether toilet paper uh, should dispense... Uh, you know, over the roll or under the roll, from the front of the roll or from the back of it. Um, my my response to this is uh, this question, which is it's a big question for sure. But my response to it is, um, you know, did you know that uh, half a million people are going to die of malaria this year? <laughs> John, but did you know that uh, my dog, if it is resp- if it is if it is set in the over position, my dog will grab onto that and run out of the bathroom with the toilet paper in her mouth and drag it around the entire house. But if it is in the under position, she isn't able to do that. So you know what that makes me think? That makes me think that the previously the the, the Wikipedia article I previously believed to be exhaustive isn't, <laughs> and that there is this fascinating new data point that needs to be added to that Wikipedia article, uh, in order <laughs> in order uh, for it to be the the complete work that it ought to be. So yeah, I I mean. I think that I I go in the over position. I am all for the over position because I don't have Hank's dog. But I also uh, I also respect people who believe in the under position. Yes, I well yes I I also am over in upstairs where the dog does not go. Uh, so I completely understand. And I I am quite confused by people who uh, who are in favor of the under position uh, without the dog in the equation. It's fine. Of course, you know, it's your toilet paper. You can do what you will. If you're in someone else's house, I would ask that you not switch their toilet paper. I agree. I think that we have to respect the sanctity of one another's homes when it comes to uh, our our toilet papering (laughs) decisions. Hank, I'm wondering if we can move on to a time-sensitive question. This one is pressing. Um, 
Uh, uh, Unfortunately, this question arrived three and a half weeks ago. Uh, 12-year-old Ginger writes, Dear John and Hank, have you ever accidentally glued your fingers together? And if so, what advice would you offer to a kid who may or may not currently have fingers glued together? Hank, I can't believe that we've waited three weeks and then like a a full 10 minutes into the podcast before getting (laughs) to this vital question. Poor Ginger. At this point, her skin cells have likely merged. Her fingers will be together for the rest of her life. It's, it's exactly what has probably happened, and I apologize deeply. And Ginger is just listening to the podcast, staring at her perpetually bound fingers and thinking, Hank and John, you've let me down. I'm sorry, Ginger. Uh, the thing to do is, is put in some, uh, some rubbing alcohol, but it's too late now. Your skin cells have merged. You've just got the one finger that's huge. Uh, nail polish remover is, is also a good one. Uh, different solvents, you know, turpentine, the kind of stuff that takes paint off of walls. Uh, that's that stuff's good for for that. Uh, and yes, yes, I have. John, have you ever glued your fingers together? I have, yeah. I used to really like the feeling of of, of the stickiness when I would glue my thumb to my uh, my pointer finger, you know, with with super glue. For a while there, you can still unstick and restick and unstick and restick, and I really liked that tactile sensation. But then eventually, you, you do it one too many times, and suddenly you can't unstick it. And I think that maybe is the situation that Ginger found herself in. Uh, you know, fortunately, I, I was able to ask um, some what I should do and they, they gave me nail polish but that's because I didn't ask my favorite podcasters uh, <laughs> who clearly did not did not answer in an appropriate time frame uh, we have another question from Amy uh, I am fascinated by this question who asked dear Hank and John if I get in a helicopter and hover for 24 hours would I end up in the same place I started because of the earth's rotation let's assume for the plausibility of the question that I have enough fuel to hover that long and that I've pointed the helicopter in the right direction to correspond with the earth's tilt <laughs> uh, you want to take this one John yeah this seems like a question for me Amy thanks for um... <laughs> Thanks for the thoughtful question. Um, so if you get in a helicopter and you hover, do you know, by the way, that when Hank was a little boy, he called helicopters helifopters? It's a true so story. he's going to act like he knows the answer to this question. But do, do you trust a man who once called helicopters helifopters? Anyway, um, if you get in a helicopter and you hover in the exact same spot for 24 hours, um, you will rotate with the Earth. So you will still be in the same spot because you will be still in the Earth's atmosphere. And that is the answer to your question. Yeah. So basically. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, will, yes. you will stay. I mean, uh, it depends. Like, basically, like the winds will blow you around. Like if you try and stay at a point in the atmosphere, the atmosphere does move around. But obviously the atmosphere does not stay in the same place while the Earth spins underneath it. The atmosphere moves along with the Earth and spins along with the Earth. Everything on the Earth, you know, when we are on the Earth, we are moving very fast uh, relative to the center of the Earth, but we are not moving very fast relative to the surface of the Earth. We are not moving at all relative to the surface of the Earth because the surface of the Earth spins with us. And so when that helicopter takes off, it is also, uh, it is it is staying at the same speed relative to the surface of the earth which means that it, it, it the earth does not spin underneath it uh, and also the atmosphere does not spin 
the Earth does not spin underneath the atmosphere. So you end up, uh, you know, being stuck at a point in the atmosphere. That might get blown around some as winds happen, but it's certainly not blowing as fast as it would if suddenly uh, the, the Earth was moving and the atmosphere wasn't, which would be completely catastrophic and would destroy everything on Earth. Yeah, so if we can just back up, I was correct? Yes. Oh, I love that feeling. God, that feels good. I'm so good at science. Yeah, I, I, I'm really proud. I'm, I'm proud of you as well, John. Here is a question from Megan. She writes, Dear John and Hank, I am a senior in high school who is currently looking for scholarships. I found a scholarship that offers $10,000, but it would require me to read Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged and write an entire essay about how much I love the book and the theories behind it. It's an awful, awful thing to have to do, but $10,000 is a lot of money I could use to pay tuition. What should I do? Well, oh my God! I think the the uh, you know like there's two options here. One is just to uh, is to just consider the world an unfair place and move on. The other is to to read Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, uh, write an amazingly exceptionally good essay about how wonderful it is, get the scholarship, and then as soon as the check clears, uh, write an amazing essay about how destructive the worldview put forth in Atlas Shrugged is and how you uh, got a scholarship that required you to write that, uh, to write the opposite of that, and then post that on Medium where it will get a billion views and you will become semi-famous. Yes, yes, right. Yes, your your Medium story will be entitled uh, How I Scammed a Bunch of Ayn Rand Fans Out of 10,000 Bucks, <laughs> um, which is the ultimate, I would argue, like the ultimate use of the Ayn Rand yes, worldview absolutely. is to scam <laughs> Ayn Rand fans out of 10,000 bucks who are forcing you to read Atlas Shrugged uh, in exchange uh, for a scholarship, which, by by the way, like in a larger sense, like points to one of the big problems of objectivism, the fact that we even need $10,000 scholarships, um, because <laughs> obviously some people have access, uh, some people are able to pay for college and others aren't, uh, it, it I would argue that, like, in the existence of the scholarship and the the fact of the necessity of the scholarship lies much of the problem of the, the uh, of of some of the ideas of objectivism. So I wouldn't point that out in the essay. I would wait and then point it out in your essay about the essay. I'm very excited for this, Megan. Congratulations in advance. Uh, can, can let's let's have a can we have a serious talk for a moment? Uh, now that we, now I feel like we've done a good job for Megan. My act, my my, you know, I would be very careful about doing this because there's you know there's a large chance that she won't get the scholarship, and that's too bad. But um, so maybe don't waste too much time on it. But it would be amazing. Uh, however, I will say that I did get a I did get a an ask on my Tumblr that said something to the effect of, you know, you guys pride yourself on being objective, on being uh, open, and and like uh, imagining others complexly, uh, and and yet the way that you treat Randian philosophy and those who adhere to it uh, makes me feel very much like you. Uh, don't imagine those people complexly and that you are just being mean and closed off from them. Yep. Um, we have another question, Hank. It's from Katrina. <laughs> yeah, I guess I hear what they're saying, and I probably am not fair uh, to, you know, every strand of Randian philosophy, but I, I, I do find the idea that I should be tolerant of intolerance problematic. Um, I, I just deeply disagree with, um, with that worldview. Now, I might be wrong, um, and I might even be wrong to characterize it as intolerance. Um, and I'm happy to acknowledge that I might be wrong and that I often am wrong, but I'm still going to, like, uh, you know, 
vociferously stand for what I believe in, you know? Yeah. All right. I think that is, I think that is, uh, handled that. And probably that person stopped listening to our podcast anyway. Sorry to lose you person. Well, it's in the past now, Hank, let's move on to Katrina's question. Who writes, Dear John and Hank, knowing that Hank has a love of corn dogs, I thought of him the other day when I came across a corn dog donut. It was a donut with a Dijon glazed tomato jam and crushed pretzels topped with a mini corn dog. That sounds disgusting. This got me thinking about weird food combinations that seem off putting at first, but then surprise you with how delicious they are. What weird food combinations do you enjoy? DFTBA Katrina. Well, just to answer this first, the weirdest food combination that I enjoy is herring with literally anything. Herring with peanut butter, herring with mustard, herring with mayonnaise, herring with other herrings, like herring stuffed inside of herring stuffed inside of herring. There is no variety of herring that I do not enjoy. What about a herring duckin? It's a herring stuffed with a duck stuffed with a chicken. A herring duckin? A hair, a hair duckin. So like a bunch of herring stuffed inside of a duck and then the duck is stuffed inside of a chicken? No, no, no. It's a it's that a, sounds delicious. Is there any way I can start? <laughs> is there any way I can start with the herring and just eat all of them? <laughs> I, herring cooked in duck fat? Are you kidding? That sounds amazing. I've, I, uh, I've never had. I don't feel like I've ever had herring. Oh my god! How do you call yourself a person? What is what is herring? Does it come in like a can? It does sometimes come in a can. It comes in all kinds of ways. It's a fish. A fish is it a small fish. Small fish. You just eat it. Eyes, bones. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's often pickled. I agree that that is, that is just... Well, that's just a weird food. Uh, I love peanut butter. And I guess anything you combine it with is going to be a weird food combination. Uh, I want to say to Katrina... I love peanut butter, jelly, and herring. Ugh. I like a peanut butter jelly sandwich with the bread made out of herring. Man, that sounds really awful. You should make a video about this. I want to see you just eat a bunch of herring combinations. If that's something you enjoy, that you should just do that on video and get views. Mmm. Sounds delicious. The herring challenge. Oh God, John Green. John Green's herring challenge. I want. I want to like do the music for it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-da-ba. John Green, the herring challenge. He eats herrings with everything. Hey. Uh, do you like any weird foods, Hank? Well, first I want to say that uh, I love the idea of this corn dog donut. The only problem with it being that the corn dog is on top, when clearly the the dog should be in the middle. That's how it's a corn dog. It's it's a it's a dog surrounded by carbs. Right. And to have put it on top when you could when you could have inserted the dog into the belly of the beast, I'm very upset at that donut shop's lack of ingenuity. But maybe they want to have it right on top there so people don't accidentally eat it thinking that it's going to be a regular donut and then encounter uh, meat in the middle and and they say is there meat in this? With their meat in their mouth, which happened to me the first time. I gave, I gave a friend of mine a corn dog once. I, she was like, "I've never had a corn dog," and I was like, "Oh, you can have, have a bite of mine. You can have the first bite." And then she took a bite and she said, "They're meat in this." And I was like, "It's yeah. I mean, I just I could have explained the idea to you, but yes, uh, yes, there is. That's a. It is. Ju- it is basically just meat, with a little bit of not meat. But you can't see any of the meat, and I understand how that that could be confusing." Uh, weird food combinations that I, I greatly enjoy. Uh, I like to put anything inside of a tortilla, like pasta, like like uh, like yeah. like spaghetti with meatballs inside of a tortilla or mac and cheese inside of a tortilla. Basically, I, I don't know if that's a weird food combination, but that is something that I did a lot as a child. Uh, and uh, I used to put uh, baked beans in my macaroni and cheese, which is very good. 
uh, I used to put... I really like the idea, Hank, of you opening up a... Uh an unusual burrito restaurant. I mean, that sells uh, spaghetti and meatballs burritos or peanut butter and jelly burritos. You you can't say that I have any shortage of ideas. I I, I I'm just full of them, full of amazing ideas. Everybody's gonna go for that grilled mac and cheese burrito. No, but that might be your first truly billion dollar idea. You know, like I mean that I could see that rivaling Chipotle, the unusual burrito <laughs> shop. No, I'm just kidding. Our first billion dollar idea was Jurassic Mars. That's definitely it. I don't know why we haven't been developing this idea more. I Someone explained to me why, how eight weeks after we invented Jurassic Mars, there still isn't a Jurassic Mars movie. I don't know. I'm very frustrated. Oh, man. Well, should we ask answer another question, Hank? Yeah, let's answer Bridget's question. Okay. Who asks, Dear Hank and John, we're talking about, we were talking about family the other day, and I said relatives to refer to my grandparents as well as my husband. My husband was thrown off because using the term related to, uh, to refer to him sounded like he was my cousin or something. He's not my cousin. So my question is this. Should I use the word related when talking about a married couple? And if not, what word would I use? Is there a word for that? Well, I would argue that family is not just blood. I don't, I don't agree with the notion yes. that family is merely blood. I kind of think that you decide your family, and that's one of the things that you commit to when you commit to marriage and one of the things to me that's cool about marriage. So I think that, I think that you are related to your husband, although it does sound weird when I say it that way. Yes, because uh, the word related sounds as if you uh, are... Sounds, the, the, the meaning of the word, uh, it, it seems to mean that you are connected to them by blood. But if you look at the what the word actually means, as in you have a relationship with them and thus are related to them right. by law, uh, then yes, you are related to your husband. Now, Hank, can we, uh, can we get to what I think is at the core of this question, uh, which is, are there any famous people who were married to their first cousins? Oh, yeah, lots. Oh, yeah, lots. Charles Darwin was married to his first cousin. Charles Darwin, sure. She was great. They had a great marriage. They did. They had a great marriage. You know who else was married to his first cousin? Albert Einstein. Oh, look at that. Also, Saddam Hussein. Oh, well, maybe a little less exciting. Also, the uh, the son of A.A. A. Milne, Christopher Robin Milne, who the original Christopher Robin was based on. A.A. A. Milne, of course, wrote Winnie the Pooh. Uh, and it was one of the reasons there was a lot of tension uh, between the author of Winnie the Pooh and the person that it was it was ostensibly written about was because A.A. A. Milne did not uh, did not approve of Christopher Robin Milne's uh, marriage to uh, to his first cousin. Also, Edgar Allan Poe was married um, to his uh, first cousin, uh, who died. He got married to her when he was twenty six and she was thirteen. That that's a mm. that's a decision. Um, and uh, then she died at at twenty four. Um, and inspired many of his most famous poems. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, you know, I'm not here to judge you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, Actually, I am going to go ahead and judge Edgar Allan Poe. It's not okay <laughs> when you're 26 to marry to marry your 13 year old cousin. It's just not. We actually. Uh... I'm gonna I'm gonna strip all uh, all connection from this story so that people can't track it down. But but there is a person who we know who fell in love with their first cousin uh, when they were very young. They uh, they never made anything of it. They got married to different people and then were both widowed or widowered or whatever. And then when they were in their 80s, got married. That is a thing that happened to a person I know. Yeah, and fascinatingly, in this in the place where they live, that is not illegal uh, because the law specifically states that you can't marry your first cousin unless 
unless there's no chance of childbearing. And since they were in their 80s, there wasn't. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, I'm glad that this podcast has so far... What did you say? Today's podcast is brought to you by postmenopausal cousin marriage. Postmenopausal cousin marriage, legal <laughs> in some places. Today's podcast is brought to you by the sensation of having your fingers sticking together but not quite being stuck together. What a pleasant sensation and yet so dangerous. Today's podcast is also brought to you by side effects of medication. Side effects of medication. That unfortunate necessity. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Ayn Rand Atlas Shrugged Scholarship Foundation, doing our best to weed out the people who are trying to troll us. (laughs) I can't even believe that that's a real scholarship. I can't believe it. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. That that's really a thing. <laughs> I don't I I totally believe it. I believe it a hundred percent. That totally sounds like something a Randian would do. Oh boy. Looking for a new pulpy podcast? Dear Hank and John is supported by Dirt Cheap, a new podcast from Neon Hum Media that digs deep into the dollar bins of used bookstores and your grandmother's storage unit in search of sass and questionable grammar. Hosts Amanda Meadows and Jeffrey Golden bring these bizarre stories to life each week, chapter by chapter, with a heavy dose of humor and a dash of schadenfreude. Each season will explore a discarded pulp novel culled from the dustbin of literary history, reenacting its pages through narration and sound design. In season one, they read the book Murder in the Glass Room, an L.A. noir novel that almost became a blockbuster film. Subscribe to follow and solve the murder mystery of season one by searching for Dirt Cheap in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Hank, let's answer a couple more questions before we get to the all-important, stunning news from AFC Wimbledon and then the whatever news from Mars. All right, we have a question. This one's from Orlando who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm soon going to be moving into a new place with my partner and I wanted to know if you guys had any suggestions for cool pets that would be suitable for a small apartment, assuming the apartment allows pets. We like the idea of having tardigrades, although we don't know how well that would work. I like the idea of having a spider, but my partner is against that. Yes. Any suggestions are welcome. Tardigrades are a fantastic idea, and you really can't go wrong. The things can live in the vacuum of space, uh, so I don't think you're going to kill them. Yeah, I mean, tardigrades are one of the very few pets that you're unlikely to kill. Uh, 
My main recommendation would be if you want to step up from tardigrade in terms of responsibility, um, I would recommend a fish. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, just the single or maybe even like three or four fish in a tank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good to have more than one. So they're not so they're not lonely. We have a fish tank at the office uh, and and we we uh, they were all Patreon perks. So people uh, gave us money on Patreon and we would give them a fish and name it after them or name it whatever they wanted us to name it. And there's a fish in the tank named Cali Awesome Sauce, and Cali Awesome Sauce started to eat all the other fish. Not, like, whole, whole, just, you know, pecking at the tail until the fish couldn't swim anymore and died, and then it would eat the fish after it fell to the bottom or rose to the top. So Cali Awesome Sauce now has her own tank and, uh, and is all alone in Caitlin Hoffmeister's office. Sorry about that, Cali Awesome Sauce, though that fish is very healthy and doing very well. Uh, I mean, it might be because it has eaten the, the flesh of younger fish. Yes. Um, yes but uh, it, is, it is one of the only original fish that is still around from our first round of, of Patreon fundraising three years ago. No, a year ago. I am reminded, uh, as I so often am uh, during this podcast, of the Melian dialogue between the Athenians and the Melians in which the Athenians said... The strong do what they will, and the weak suffer what they must. <laughs> uh, Cali Awesome Sauce, clearly the strong. <laughs> yes, doing what she will. When Catherine and I first move in, moved in together, we got gerbils. And, uh, and the only problem we had with the gerbils was at first, we accidentally got a male and a female. And that turned out, whether or not they were first cousins, to end in uh, babies. They were not postmenopausal, and we thought that we had two girls. We did not. Uh, so we had to take them back and have the pet store, uh, you know, they got free gerbils out of the deal. And we uh, got another pair of gerbils that were indeed different genders. I mean, you don't want them to be different. You want them to be the same. That is what I meant. Yes, right. correct. Okay, good. I just wanted to confirm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my we had a, we had a pet uh, hamster growing up who uh, our terrible dog, Red Green, eventually ate. But... Um, if I was going to rank my uh, pets according to how much I love them and uh, how af- effective they would be as pets living in a very small apartment, I, I, I think the top five would all be fish. <laughs> and then the sixth would be the hamster that Red Green ate. And then the seventh would be um, a tiny turtle. And then the eighth would be a dog. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, you, the main things that I would try to avoid are anything that lives longer than 10 years. Uh, so birds yep. are just a tremendous amount of responsibility, uh, especially smart birds like parrots uh, or conures because they uh, require a lot of stimulation or they go nuts. Right. And uh, and you don't necessarily want to sign up for that. Uh, you know, gerbils and hamsters live like three years, so they're not too much of a too much. It's sad, you know, it's sad when they go, but uh, you don't want to. Uh, go in for too much, and fish are the same way, where they they don't they can live very long, uh, but don't tend to. Uh, and reptiles live for a long time, and insects are just no, not they're not a pet. No, they're just a. It's just weird. No, they're enemies. Just weird. Um, uh, they are not our friends. Uh, I love bugs. Don't get me wrong. I I do think that they are our friends. I love hanging out with and seeing cool bugs. Uh, but I think that they, unless you are like really sort of into the idea of being an insect breeder and like doing that, it's a complicated thing to do. Uh, but having a sort of menagerie of insects, if that's the kind of, you know, if you're that kind of dork, yeah, I'm all for it. Go for it, nerd. I love you. Um, but, uh, 
I don't know, man. It's just, it's a lot of work, especially carnivorous bugs, because then you have to be having other bugs to feed to the bug, and it smells bad. Yeah, so in summary, we've decided that you should get a fish, Orlando. You should probably get a fish. Congratulations in advance on your new fish. (laughs) Or multiple fish. Well, Hank, you know what the plural of fish is. That's true. That's true! God dang it! It's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon! Hank. Yes. What is the news from Mars? The news from Mars comes to us from just outside of Mars. The orbit of Mars, in fact, where Phobos, Mars's moon, one of Mars's two moons, is being ripped apart by Mars's gravity. Uh-oh. Phobos is too close to Mars. It is not in a stable orbit. It will eventually crash into the surface of Mars in tens of millions of years. Before that happens, we have now determined Phobos will be ripped to shreds and will fall as a bunch of small rocks. Phobos, it turns out, is uh, is a bunch, it's basically a bunch of rubble that has stuck together and has been covered in a layer of like dust and stuff. Uh, just a layer of, of, of like, uh, yeah, basically just dust. Uh, smaller, very small rocks. And uh, and so it looks solid, but it just goes be, it has this, like, 10, uh, 10 to 100 meter thick layer of dust on top of it, uh, which is quite a lot of dust, but it is, uh, it is not as solid as it looks. And it has these weird stripes on it. That uh, that we initially assumed were because of some very large impact that created a, a rippling uh, destruction throughout the entire moon, because these stripes go from the the top to the bottom of the moon. But it turns out that those stripes are in fact the weak points in the moon as it is getting stretched out by Mars's gravity as it approaches the planet, and those uh, and that is that is the beginning of Phobos being torn to pieces by Mars's gravity, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah, that's horrifying. I'm. Uh... Once again, as I so often find myself feeling, glad that I don't live on Mars. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it be kind of a? It'd be interesting to like look at the moon and be like, in ten million years, that thing's gonna kill us. Well, I mean, is it definitely gonna kill everyone on Mars? Uh, well, no. I mean, you have ten million years to deal with it. Oh, no, it's just gonna inconvenience. Yeah. So them. probably, if if this were happening uh, to our moon. Uh, and But if it were happening to our moon, if our moon, you know, we've talked about this before, that if our moon, oddly enough, that if our moon broke up, uh, it would destroy all life on Earth. If our moon hit the Earth, it would destroy everything. Um, Yay. Phobos is not as big, but neither is Mars, so I don't actually know what would happen. But I imagine that it would be a very significant catastrophe on the surface of Mars for anyone or anything that was living there. Uh, however, I, with 10 million years to spare, chances are you could throw something up there, just a few uh, million ion thrusters or maybe some nuclear warheads and, and blast it into a stable orbit. Mm. I think that... Um, I think we could do that. I think that that's all terrifying and we should talk about League Two football. The real stuff. <laughs> all right. Oh, Hank, it's been, a, uh, it's, been, it's been a wonderful week for AFC Wimbledon. They won their second consecutive game. All, again, scoring... More than two goals. They they beat York City three one. Yeah. Um. You'll remember from uh, from our last podcast, Hank, the uh, our, our our new striker Lyle Taylor, the Montserratian international from uh, the the island of Montserrat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, he he uh, as you know he you know like 
every every nation has its own uh, team, and then the, you know all the players play for different clubs. Like Lionel Messi, he's Argentinian, but he plays for Barcelona. Well, Lyle Taylor is is uh, Montserratian, but he plays for <laughs> AFC Wimbledon. Um, he scored in his only goal for uh, in his in his only game for the Montserrat national, or in his first game for the Montserrat national team. He scored against Curacao. Uh, it, was, it was very exciting. And he scored in the game against York City, uh, as did Tom Elliott and uh, Ade Aziz. So the, the, Tom Elliott's a very interesting, uh, interesting, interesting kid. Um, he's all 24 now, and uh, he's, he's looking very promising, I think. He had a long spell at Cambridge United. He spent about three years there, and he's just come over to AFC Wimbledon, and he's looking... He's looking right likable, um, and and Ade Aziz is um, is is looking really good too. So we're looking like we have a good, strong attacking game, like we can finally score some goals. And our back four played much better than at any point in the season. Um, and so suddenly we are in the top half of the table, which is definitely where we want to be. We're twelfth um, right now. We're we're uh, we're twelfth on twenty two points, and we're only amazingly. We're only three points. We're only one victory away, Hank, from being right there in the playoff picture, right there in that top seven where we want to be at the end of the season. So All right. um, it's definitely good to put together two wins in a row uh, for the first time this season. Definitely exciting stuff. All right. Let's, yeah, keep, keep the, stri- the string going. Get a turkey. Is that what it's called? Yes. We're going to try for the turkey this weekend or last weekend <laughs> as you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's it's hard to keep on top of the podcast. It here. does rather take the heat out of the out of the uh, out of it t- takes a little bit of the excitement out knowing that it it happened in the past, but happening in my future. Uh, Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time, AFC Wimbledon versus Hartlepool. Hartlepool, Hank, uh, being one of the very few uh, English football league teams I have seen play in real life. I saw them play Swindon a few years ago. Why don't you just move to the UK? You could watch all the games. Yeah, I mean that's true, and I've certainly I've certainly asked my wife on on many occasions if it would be all right for me to just buy a League Two football team and and live out my dream of um of owning a uh, <laughs> you know a minor league professional soccer team in England, and she feels that um, that there are things that we can do uh, that could have a greater impact um, on our community and that would be better for our family. I think that she's full of it, but but she makes a compelling argument. All right, John. Uh, well, thank you for the news from AFC Wimbledon. I'm proud of your boys. Uh, they are right likable, which is a thing that you said that I assume you have got from the men in blazers. Uh, I don't think so. I think that comes all the way. I think that that's just for me. Okay. I think I invented that myself. <laughs> um, what did we learn today, Hank? Uh, we learned that uh, that corn dog donuts are not corn dog donuts unless the dog is buried inside, not on top. We learned that your spouse is always your relative, but sometimes is really your relative. <laughs> uh, the people in the audience learned that Red Green, the dog that once pooped in my Nintendo, also ate my hamster. Which is not a th- not a thing I think we've told the audience before. And of course, we learned that there's no wrong way for someone else to install their toilet paper. <laughs> Absolutely accurate. Do not 
mess with other people's toilet paper. Thanks so much for listening to Dear Hank and John. You can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com or you can use the hashtag Dear Hank and John on the Twitters. Um, I'm John Green on Twitter. Hank is Hank Green. And if you want to follow Hank Green on his social media of choice, that's Snapchat. He's Hank GRE. That's correct. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. The music is from Gunnarola at youtube.com slash Gunnarola. Two R's, two L's. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.